Hey, have you ever felt other because you're not a mother? Or wondered why motherhood and otherhood are the only defined options for womanhood? Want to feel whole no matter the fruit of your womb? Yeah, me too. It's time for a new paradigm. Are you ready? Welcome to Ladies Like Us. I'm your host, Linda Lysing. Join me as we swap those narrow definitions with real, diverse, and inclusive stories that dig into the full spectrum of mothering mojo, including motherhood missed, motherhood dissed. We're going to coach a little, empower a lot, ask the good questions, and massively celebrate life choices. So, whether you're childless, motherhood curious, ambivalent, child-free, or a self-defined mother of any kind, this space is for you. Sound good? Let's do it. Hello, my friends, Linda here. And today I want to ask a question. Who decides what a complete life looks like? Ever think about that question? I invoke that question a lot, uh, both rhetorically and, and within uh, a coaching scenario too, because I think we can really get caught up in whether we have completion or if we feel left behind in life. And as we know, in the otherhood, there are multiple opportunities to feel either left out or behind or incomplete, right? But I want to challenge us by really just digging into this question and really unpacking what our expectations are around this. So, you know, whatever, if it's success, uh, completeness, satisfaction, fulfillment, however you want to put it, I just kind of phrase it as this question, like, who decides what a complete life looks like? And I like putting it that way because it's almost like, who decides? Do I decide? Or does someone else decide for me, right? So that's what's powerful about this question is that as soon as we ask it, we can create this awareness. Um, does the answer come from within or without, right? And what I mean by that is, is it inside me or outside of me? So like, if you're not answering like, hell yeah, I decide what a complete life looks like and I like my apartment and I like my cat and my career's kicking butt and, you know, I feel great, then that's awesome, right? But chances are, like many of us, we have ways of measuring ourselves against something outside of us that says this is what success looks like, right? So, yeah, so if we don't answer I do to this question, then who have we given the power to? Your parents, your religion, <laughs> your Catholic school upbringing, your feminist handbook, patriarchy, society at large? It's an interesting question, right? And it's easy to find things lurking in society that are also informing this metric of what a complete life looks like. Um, I'll give you an example. I was reading not that long ago about America being um, referred to as a pro 
natalist culture, right? And I was like, huh, I never heard that before. Like not specifically, but pro-natalism, meaning kind of like pro having babies, really like urging um, children. And it really kind of there's, it smacks of like this idea of like the nuclear family, right? And propagating the species. But it's kind of... um, it's kind of more of a cultural way of thinking about it versus a biological. And so, yeah, it's interesting because I, I hadn't heard it. And then when I heard it, I was like, oh, we are a pronatalist culture. Holy shit. <laughs> and so, you know, I pointed out because we just think it's the way it is, but not every, every con- like country necessarily has the same sort of um, structure that sort of pushes that agenda, right? And so as a woman, you know, we get so many um, messages about how we're supposed to be. And I'm thinking, huh, here again is another, um, another message that is really kind of telling me what I'm supposed to be doing as a woman. <laughs> so... Anyway, I think it's valuable to examine what is coming from within and what is coming from without. And sometimes it's trickier to dissect that. And that's what I want to get into today. So I'm going to share uh, a story. (laughs) And this was the day that I realized, okay, I decide what a complete life looks like. And I had to kind of figure out and declare it. And I wasn't even aware that. I wasn't, right? (laughs) So I wanted to share this insight with you because it really was one of those clouds parting, sun shining kind of moments for me. And once I got it, I want to say I never looked back. And it's not totally true, but I'll say this. I am now aware to ask myself that question and just check in and uh, make sure the answer is really coming from the right place. So what is it to be someone who validates their own life? And when I say validates, like I'm not talking about needing or not needing outside validation. Like we're not really going to go there. This is just about understanding that the most important validation is your own. And really like how to create that. And, you know, on some level, this may seem super obvious, like, yeah, we should totally validate our own lives, right? But like I said, if you scratch under the surface, you'll see how, like in my story, for instance, um, sometimes we just miss this point. Yeah. And when we start living for ourselves, it feels really different. So uh, yeah. So how do we get there? You know, like, oftentimes we don't even realize we're in the dark. And, uh, you know, I like to say like, we don't know what we don't know. Right. So we're not like in the dark, completely unconscious. We're maybe doing the work. Um, we're, we're examining our lives in certain ways and thinking things through, but sometimes the invisible grid lines of our life are just that like really pretty invisible. Right. And so, yeah, um, so let's dig in. 
So going back a few years here and um, I'm going through my coaching training and it's awesome. You know, like I'm like, oh my God, I found my vocation. I'm like so excited and the stuff that they're throwing our way is like, I'm just like voraciously absorbing it. So we're subjecting ourselves to all sorts of coaching exercises and tools. And one of these exercises was called old rules. So it had us examine old rules. And so, yeah, what's an old rule, you ask? Well, uh, it's probably some idea put in place when you were young and by someone else. And it's an idea that limits how you live. Okay. So I'm sure you've heard limiting beliefs before. Um, An old rule has kind of calcified into a law and probably is just so ever present that you don't even know it's there anymore. So again, that image of like the invisible grid lines of your life, right? And, you know, we can inherit them from our family, our faith, society, you name it. Um, And they can be pretty specific to our inner landscape. Okay. Like, um, I don't know, I had a funny example. I was but I was thinking about like movies from the 50s, you know, like men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses or don't leave the house without your face on. And um, I don't know. (laughs) But those are basically that like you just, you know, you would just never consider doing that. And it's sort of like, well, why? (laughs) Um, But like money doesn't grow on trees, right? I'm sure you've heard that expression before. And it's kind of generic, but if you think about it, someone who has that belief system isn't thinking like that phrase all the time, but they are operating from a certain kind of scarcity. And someone who doesn't have that old rule in their mind can have the same amount of money and have a completely different relationship to money, right? So yeah, so an an old rule um, or calcified limiting belief Um, really informs how you think the world is, right? So there was a really good one. I was listening to the author Glennon Doyle, who uh, wrote Untamed, amazing book. You should check it out. And she was getting interviewed by Marie Forleo. And, you know, it was interesting because she was... um, talking about, she talks about motherhood, right? She's a mother. And this rule she brings up is um, that mothers should show their love by martyring themselves for their children. Right? That is so good. I mean, no one explicitly said this rule out loud, but you feel it, right? Whether you have like a mom that, you know, tries to guilt you about things or you think about you know, a movie character (laughs) who really like embodies this idea of the suffering mother. And it's like, yeah, even as a non-mother, I can feel it. It's just, you know, my mom isn't going to have that, but, (laughs) but you can see how this is a, a common, um, rule. And I'm sure that a lot of mothers feel burdened by this, this un unwritten, invisible (laughs) rule that, um, causes them to operate a certain way. Right. 
So when someone points it out, all of a sudden it's like, whoa. And so unless you ask yourself what rules you're living by, you don't even know they're there, right? And if you don't know they're there, then how will you even know that you can rewrite your own rule book? So that's what I want to talk about. So the old rules that came up for me at this time were, and these are by no means exhaustive, okay? Um, one was I should be married with children. Um, I should pare down my dreams and be more realistic. Um, I shouldn't take risks, right? So those are three. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Two and three are kind of similar. Um, so there's kind of a theme there you may be sensing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so let's go back to the first one. I should be married with children. Nothing wrong with that, right? Like not, not, not at all. But like, who decided that? Like, sure, motherhood had always been part of my plan and not in a ticking off boxes kind of way, but more like in a nurturing and natural kind of way. Um, I helped raise my baby sister and I just knew I had a lot to give in this area. And, you know, I really remember when I, when I really think about wanting a child I had this feeling like I just can't wait to meet my child. Like, yeah, I've had two dreams in life where I have a child and each time it was a son, which was interesting because I think on paper I probably wanted a daughter, but I just think I, I can't wait to meet my son, right? Anyway, I think my I felt like my heart was in the right place regarding this motherhood thing, right? So when I was finally married and kind of trying for that, it felt good because it was like, ooh, you know, I finally have the quote unquote nest and circumstances right, right? Like I can finally really like go for it here. And I know I've spoken about this before, but you know, my marriage ended and I'm on the prep, like the precipice of 40, divorced with no baby. And that sounds like a total bummer. But in actuality, at that time, um, I felt like everything was going to be okay. And I actually gave some serious thought to becoming a single mother. And, you know, I think the prospect of that, like, was, was really exciting to me. And it was like, ooh, I get to create what I want in this area. Um, so I, I felt aligned with that desire somehow, no matter what, right? Um, you know, I'm pondering how I'm actually going to make it happen. I'm like, do I hit up my gay friends? Like, do I, you know, go to some sperm banks? Like, um, do I, do I meet a man? You know, how do I go about this? Right. And I did end up meeting someone who like wanted to help me with that, which was really surprising to me because I thought that once I made this decision in my mind to go for motherhood, that anyone I would meet around that time would probably like run for the hills <laughs> um, and really just not not be about that. But I turned out to be wrong. So there you have it. At the end of the day, I, I think I kind of want to offer that um, it's it's kind of a good idea to just really just be where you're at, right? And let let it follow like sure. All the men may go running for the hills, but you know what? Unless you actually like 
put it out there, you're not going to find the guy that might actually just be like, yeah, bring it on. Like, you know, like, let's knock you up. No, I mean, you know what I mean? Like might actually be interested in creating a family with you. So that's that, I guess. Right. (laughs) So unfortunately, um, the man that I met lived across the country. And so I had some decisions to make. Um, I did not want to leave New York. Um, but he lived in LA and, you know, we, we long distance, um, dated and tried to procreate for like a year. And eventually, um, I was talked into moving to the West coast, which, you know, if you really think about what we were, uh, endeavoring to do, it made more sense, right. (laughs) To be in the same place. But I have to tell you, I was living my ideal life in New York City. Like, I loved my job, my community, my city, my apartment. All I wanted was for my baby to join me. True story. So, you know, long story short, I wanted to move forward with my motherhood plans. And since my boyfriend wanted me to move to LA, uh, I started to seriously consider it and I put it off for some time. Then here's what happened. My parents visited, uh, for Christmas and my, my boyfriend also visited, um, and he brought his eldest son with him and it was about 11 and I watched my, we'll call her a tiger mom. (laughs) I watched her go totally soft in the presence of this little boy. Um, it was adorable. She, she just like, I don't know. She just bonded right away, knew how to talk to him. I, I kind of watched her grandmother instinct kick in. And it was interesting because you know, I think she liked my boyfriend because he was a father and this was unlike anyone else I'd been involved with. He had a home, was a bit more family oriented and, you know, had his own business. So, uh, yeah, in fact, he was kind of bona fide, <laughs> as it were, right? So it was soon after that visit that I finally said yes to moving. And, you know, I could see maybe through my parents' eyes that my New York City lifestyle didn't really resonate with them, but that the idea of me playing house with my boyfriend's kids in LA did. And, you know, I figured once I had my baby, we'd we'd all be together anyway, right? And so I moved Um, I did not keep my awesome apartment in case you were wondering. (laughs) I, uh, jumped with both feet and landed in LA and guess what? It didn't work out. And so, and the other thing, (laughs) as we now know, (laughs) is that I did not have my baby. So, you know, what did I do? I, I used my life, my life's work and material and decided to become a life coach. So anyway, duh, (laughs) 
back to the exercise. So we have our rules written down. And so now we are paired up with a, with a fellow coach, right? To kind of unpack this old rules um, exercise. So, right, it's my turn first. And I'm asked about that first rule, this, this one that said I should be married with kids. And so, you know, the questioning was like, well, why, why do you believe that to be true? And so what's interesting is that I just started talking about what I just shared with you, which, which was that after I got divorced, I still wanted to be a mother and that I left my beloved (laughs) life in New York behind because I wanted a family. And when my coach asked me why I left New York, I said family again, but this time with less conviction. And I was like, huh. And like in the moment of answering the question, I realized two things that hit me like a ton of bricks. One, I moved because I thought it was what they wanted, meaning my parents. And two, I moved because my life in New York was not valid to me because I was looking at it through their eyes because my marriage had sort of quote unquote failed there, right? And like somehow New York had failed me or maybe I had just failed in New York. Bam, there it was. And so following this realization, I mean, I went even further and further to find this rule lurking beneath the surface. What was the rule? I need to make my parents into grandparents to be a good daughter. Yeah. Was I fully conscious that this was what I was feeling? No, not really. I mean, I knew I was driven to make it happen, right? I knew I wanted to be a mother, but I really didn't see how intermingled this desire was with what I thought my parents wanted. So, you know, I took this so far that I left my beloved New York moved across the country to be with a man, with kids, uh, in the hopes of creating family. And, you know, yeah, he was keen on making me a mama and I wanted that on some level, right? But it got interesting when that didn't actually happen. And, you know, I, I, I had adopted this, like no regrets, like go big or go home. And yet I kept turning over, like, why did I leave New York? And, you know, this coaching exercise had us question the validity of our rules. And it was the first time that it was, it became so clear to me what I had done. And so, yeah, until I was asked, you know, what, what rule I believed in or was living, um, I couldn't see that. And as independent and individualistic, I mean, borderline black sheepy, if you want to, if you really want to go there, that I thought I was, I, I actually still sought validation from my ma and my pa. And that's what I actually call them. (laughs) Um, yeah, I was still seeking that validation and I was divorced with no kids but like I still wanted to prove that I was a good family-oriented daughter. 
So rather than dig into like the life that I knew I loved or take the chance to create that, uh, that single motherhood, I, I think I traded that in for what I thought was a more legit life. I mean, nothing like being smacked upside the head with a gigantic awareness, right? <laughs> Go coaching. Yeah. So after this unpacking, we formulated new rules. So there's a couple of good ones, but the one I really wanted to share with you today was simply this. I validate my own life. I am the architect of my own life. I know it's just a sentence, but it changed everything. And here's how. I can let my parents' happiness be their responsibility and just love them. I can trust that I am enough. I can trust that I am strong enough to see their wistfulness or sadness at times and not take it personally, maybe even feel it with them. And, you know, what seems maybe to some a selfish proclamation is in fact the way I found to give of myself more freely. This is what I do when my life is my own. So yeah, uncovering that rule and writing a new rule was a total, total game changer for me. So I invite you to see where something that you just assume to be true that is in your operating system, maybe just take that pause and question why you're doing it, why you expect yourself to do something, right? Or simply asking where a certain desire comes from. Sometimes it's the thing beneath the thing beneath the thing, so it takes a little bit, but I promise this work is always worthwhile. So with that, I wish you a deeper relationship with your own desires and your own authority and your own confidence. Have a wonderful day. Here's the thing. Insights can go poof in the night if you don't take action. What do I mean by that? Well, Let's say you do the work, right? You uncover some gnarly, stinky old rule and you're like, enough, I'm writing a new rule. You have to put that new rule into action like stat, and I mean immediately. Those grid lines, they're pretty powerful and you're gonna get right back on that track unless you bust a move. So find a buddy, get her in that sidecar with you and you know, make a pack to expand and evolve. So there you have it. And next week, I'll be in the studio interviewing my very dear friend, the illustrious Nicole Briggs, a non-mother, but I'm also going to call her a pre-mother because there is a desire there and we're going to unpack that desire. So join me next week and subscribe so you don't miss it. Catch you soon. Bye.